sisters, and welcome to the show. This episode is brought to you by Pure Spectrum CBD. Sirak and I have been taking CBD and we are loving it. I'm holding the tincture right now. Talin, can you open your mouth, please? Now? Yeah, I'm going to give you a dosage. <laughs> now, keep it there for 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. While she does that, let me tell you the great benefits of CBD for PCOS. Studies show it reduces cortisol. Mm improves insulin sensitivity, mm -hmm. reduces inflammation. Mm -hmm. You can go to PureSpectrumCBD.com now to order and use the code THESISTERHOOD, one word, at checkout for 20% off. Natalia, hold it for 30 seconds longer while the sisters enjoy the show. <laughs> Welcome to A Sister and Her Mister, a podcast where we show you the real behind the scenes of how we balance the PCOS lifestyle in our marriage, gluten and dairy-free. I'm Talin, your fellow sister and registered dietitian. And I'm Sirak, husband, engineer, and PCOS personal trainer. We're going to make PCOS a little less overwhelming and a lot more fun. All right, sisters, thank you for joining on to this episode of the podcast, A Sister and Her Mister. Today, we have Dr. Tom O'Brien on the podcast, the author of The Autoimmune Fix, and an expert on gluten, dairy-free, sugar-free, and many other um, diet and lifestyle changes. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yes. Uh, so, Dr. Uh, before we get into uh, talking about gluten dairy-free what's your experience with pcos have you heard of pcos and what's been your um yeah, experience with it oh yes um it's a difficult one often yes um, um i came out in practice 40 years ago i don't like wow. saying that it dates me <laughs> <laughs> in the last 40 years uh, uh a few times a year uh, sometimes much more often than that but someone comes in with PCOS, a diagnosis of PC or symptoms of, then we'll diagnose it. We'll send them off to an ob and have the diagnosis done to confirm and get some films done for that. Um, so we've seen a fair amount of it. I'm not a world expert in PCOS by any means, but I am an expert on the mechanisms that may manifest as PCOS. Yes. Yeah. That's why we want to have you on the podcast is because we know the link between the diet and lifestyle, specifically gluten, dairy-free, the kind of impact it can have on the body. Uh, so I think it's going to be a great conversation. Yeah. The inflammation that it causes triggering PCOS symptoms and so on. Yes. Right. Right. You know, there's um, a basic premise that um, as far as I know, almost every disease is a disease of inflammation, that the cells are on fire. The question is, is it a brain cell or an ovarian cell? Is it gasoline or kerosene? But it's always fire. So when you, when you accept that basic premise of human biology, then one of the questions we always have to answer is, where is the inflammation coming from? Why is my immune system so active, creating all of this inflammation? Mm -hmm. Now, inflammation is not bad for you. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have inflammatory mechanisms going on all day, every day. Because yeah. we're killing off bugs that we're breathing. We're killing off bugs in the water we're drinking. We're constantly being protected by our immune system. Yeah. The immune systems, your armed forces in the body. You know, it's there to protect you. There's an army, a navy, an air force, a marines, a coast guard. We call them IGA, IgG, IgE, IgM. But yes. the big picture is your immune system's there to protect you. So the question is, what's it trying to protect you from? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes from itself, right? Well, that's rare but possible. Uh, usually. Autoimmune mechanisms are secondary to some type of environmental trigger. Mm -hmm. Usually, that's the case. Not always, but usually. And that environmental trigger can be um, from four different categories. It can be biochemical, which means what we eat and drink and breathe. It can be emotional or spiritual. You may have heard of stinking thinking that can cause an inflammatory state in your body. It may be electromagnetic, 
and more now than ever before in human history, or it could be structural, that something in the environment's out of balance. And when you can identify where the imbalances are and bring them closer back into balance again, many, many times the inflammation comes down and the antibodies to your tissue comes down. Doesn't matter if it's ovarian or brain or thyroid or joint or skin or hair follicle. It doesn't matter. The concept is every degenerative disease, as far as I know, is inflammatory, including PCOS. Mm -hmm. It's an inflammatory disease. So where's the inflammation coming from is an important question I suggest to begin with, but always include in the protocols to addressing your symptoms. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And I always, you know, when I search into where does the inflammation come from, I always start with diet, hence dietitian. <laughs> hence fully dietitian. agree. Fully agree. The most common source of gasoline on the fire is what's on the end of your fork. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah. And people don't know. People don't know that most of what they eat that's inflammatory, they don't know because they feel fine when they eat it. We think if we don't get stomach pain or bloating or gas when we eat something, it's fine for it. No, the, the science tells us it's for every one person that gets gut complaints with a problem with wheat, there are eight people that don't get gut complaints. They get brain complaints or reproductive complaints or joint complaints or skin complaints or lung complaints. They don't get gut symptoms when they eat pizza. So if you think you have to have a gut symptom for a food to be a problem for you, you'll catch it one out of eight times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and many times we kind of like, we get used to that feeling, so you think it's normal. Like we think it's normal to feel tired and fatigued after a large carb meal or something like that. Whereas it's not normal, you should feel energetic, you should be able to, you know, get ready for the next thing you're gonna do. Well, you know, there's an old song from my era by a group called Led Zeppelin. Been, oh, days, in been days in confused for so long it's not true, right? <laughs> and you had a great example in the book was, you know, if there's a light on the dashboard of your car, are you just going to rip out the wire and ignore it and continue driving on? Or are you going to take it to the mechanic and try to get down to the root issue? And I think when it comes to diet and lifestyle change, especially with gluten and dairy, it's like many times we just ignore it. Mm -hmm. We think it's normal. And then the other doctors will prescribe medications and it just masks the symptoms. And you don't really get to, to the root cause. Yeah. Well, to keep a big picture view, if you've got pain, immobilizing pain, you go get some medication. Absolutely. Don't yes. be silly. You don't want to suffer, but you don't stop by just taking medication to suppress the pain. You also explore where is this pain coming from yes. while you do what you need to do so you can continue functioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a huge, I feel like, gap in knowledge and research between um, celiac disease and gluten sensitivity. And I feel like it's not mainstream that, you know, just because you're not celiac and it doesn't show up on your blood work that you have, you know, a gluten allergy, that doesn't mean that you might not be gluten sensitive to the other proteins found in wheat. And I feel like people are just glossing over that, you know, yeah. and, and they're like, I'm fine. That's very true. And it's critically important to understand. And there are many hundreds of studies now on non-celiac gluten sensitivity and non-celiac wheat-related disorders, which really is the bigger picture uh, of a wheat-related disorder. Saying it's a gluten problem means one family of proteins in wheat. And many people react to that family of proteins in wheat, but other people react to the amylase trypsin inhibitors in wheat. And that gives them serious complaints. Other people react to the lectins in wheat, and that can cause clots and miscarriages and strokes. And other people react to the non-gluten proteins in wheat, and they can affect the brain. So it's really a wheat problem. And I'd like to talk about why that is for a minute so people understand this. And this is all science. Um, I've got a full day online course 
I mean, you, you can do it over three months if you want to. It's about 10 hours um, uh, for the for practitioners, and then there's one for the general public, both. Really? It's called the Certified Gluten-Free Practitioner Program. And um, when we eat wheat, our body, our, our di digestive enzymes are incapable of breaking it down completely. The way we're supposed to break down proteins is think of a pearl necklace. Hydrochloric acid undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you're holding a string of pearls and our enzymes act as scissors to cut the pearl necklace into smaller clumps and smaller clumps. Clip, 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 clip until you're down to each pearl of the pearl necklace. That's called an amino acid. And that's what goes through the walls of our intestines into the bloodstream, right? Mm -hmm. The problem with wheat is that no human can break wheat down into amino acids. We can't break down the pearl necklace into pearls, each pearl. That the best we can do is to break it into clumps of the pearl necklace. Those are called peptides. And there are many, 62 of them, that have been shown to trigger the immune response. When those peptides come out of the stomach into the small intestine, there are sentries standing guard just in the first part of the small intestine. They're called toll-like receptors. And there's nine different toll-like receptors. The one toll-like receptor four is the one that is there, right there, because we have the same body as our ancestors thousands and thousands of years ago. Our yeah. kidneys work the same, our lungs work the same, our immune system works the same. What did our ancestors' immune system have to protect us from? Bugs, parasites, viruses, molds, fungus, and bacteria. Mm -hmm. That was it. Yeah. There was no red dye number 42, <laughs> or high mercury levels, or bisphenol A, or triethylchlorine, or benzene when you're smelling gas. There was none of that. Bugs, parasites, viruses, mold, fungus, and bacteria. So our immune system today is capable and designed to protect us from bugs, parasites, viruses, mold, fungus, and bacteria. That's it. It's not adapted. It, 10,000 years is, not, is a blip on the screen of humans, and it's not enough time for an adapting to occur to our genetics in terms of how our body functions. So when our ancestors would be foraging for food and they'd find some food, the first thing they do, they smell it. The next thing, take a little nibble, they taste it. Then if it's okay, they eat it. Well, if there's bugs on the food that they just can't smell or taste, bacteria, bad bacteria, that gets into the stomach, the acid in the stomach kills them. That's why the acid is so strong in the stomach. One reason is to kill anything that got past the mouth and is, is trying to get it in the body. If anything at all comes out of the stomach, any bacteria, any parasites come out of the stomach, the sentries standing guard in the first part of the small intestine, called the proximal part of the small intestine, are toll-like receptor four. And the bacteria activates toll-like receptor four, which then flips the switch. It's actually a dimmer switch, but it flips it on full, full light. To, and it, what that means is it activates NF-kappa B, the activator of inflammation in the body, and the amplifier of inflammation in the body. And then here come all the inflammation to kill this bacteria that got there. So that's a mechanism that our bodies have designed to protect us from bug exposure. Mm -hmm. The problem is every human, every time they eat wheat, when it comes out of the stomach, it activates toll-like receptor four. Every oh. human that the body misinterprets wheat to be a bug because the protein structure of it is very similar to a bug. When you read the science, there's no arguing with this. No gastroenterologist can argue with this. This is basic physiology. And there are so many studies on this now. We didn't know this 15 years ago the mechanisms by which the, we, we just knew the symptoms people had. But now we've got the science that shows us, and this is from Harvard and King's College in London and uh, 
Karolinska in Sweden, major, major research centers have been publishing on this now for 10, 15 years. And it's just that the doc down the street, the average doc down the street, doesn't know this information. Yeah. Right. But every, every human, every time they're exposed to wheat, within five minutes of the wheat coming out of the stomach into the small intestine, you get intestinal permeability from toll-like receptor four being activated. That's the leaky gut. Every human, every time, no argument, no, no discrepancies. So when, when you understand that, then the question is, well, do you mean everybody's got to give up wheat? And the answer is no, because the intestinal permeability you get is transient intestinal permeability. What does that mean? Every cell in your body regenerates, every single cell, some really quick, like the inside of your guts every two, three days, depending on what paper you read. Uh, every cell regenerates except your teeth. Some cells are very slow, like bone cells are slow, but every cell regenerates. Mm -hmm. So you eat wheat for breakfast, you tear the lining of the gut, but it heals. You eat a sandwich for lunch, you tear the lining of the gut, but it heals. Pasta for dinner, tear the lining, but it heals. Croutons on your salad, tear the lining, but it heals. Day after week after month after year until one day, you don't heal anymore. That's called loss of oral tolerance, oral tolerance. You can't tolerate wheat anymore and your gut doesn't heal from it anymore. Now you've got pathogenic intestinal permeability, not transient, pathogenic intestinal permeability. That's the leaky gut. And when you have the leaky gut, Larger molecules get through into the bloodstream than what should get into the bloodstream. They're called macromolecules. And your immune system says, whoa, I better fight this. This is not something I can use to make new bone cells or brain cells. And you make antibodies to bananas and chicken and radishes and cucumbers. It doesn't matter. You do a 90 food blood test panel and it comes back and you're sensitive to 25 foods. And you say, oh my God, that's everything I eat. Well, of course it is. Your immune system's trying to protect you. You've yeah. got pathogenic intestinal permeability. Heal the gut and then check in six months and you've got two foods you're sensitive to, maybe three. So it's not that everyone needs to give up wheat, but rather everyone needs to check accurately. If you have a health concern that's not getting better to the way you want it to, do the test to see if you have a sensitivity to wheat. And there's only one test that's really accurate, uh, more accurate than any other test in the world. And I lecture all over the world on this. Uh, and Mayo Clinic writes about this test. It's called the Wheat Zoomer, because you zoom in on the problem. And if you go to my website, thedr.com, thedoctor.com, just don't spell the word doctor out, and you look up the Wheat Zoomer and print it out, the information, take it to your doctor and ask them to order this test for you. And if, you're, if your immune system is fighting wheat, then you have to give up wheat. I see. Very interesting. And even in that case, do you suggest like limiting the wheat or like just maybe like not consuming it as much as you do? As you do? Oh, you can't be a little pregnant. Uh, okay. You can't have a little wheat. You can't yeah. have a little wheat. If you've crossed the line of oral tolerance, it takes an eighth of a thumbnail of exposure to activate the entire inflammatory cascade. And if the weak link in your chain, you pull at a chain, it always breaks at the weakest link. It's at one end, the middle, the other end. It's your heart, your brain, your liver, your kidneys, your ovaries, wherever your weak link is. And if the weak link in the chain is your ovaries, you get more inflammation to your ovaries. If the weak link in your chain is the thyroid, you get more inflammation in your thyroid. An eighth of a thumbnail is all it takes. And then you were speaking earlier how like our bodies haven't adapted to this new like to the new lifestyle, the new environment that we have now. And especially with wheat, like wheat manufacturing has completely changed in the last like 60, 70 years because they made the wheat stock stronger, but right. in, in order to make more wheat, but this makes it harder for us to digest it. So it's just now ca causing more and more issues today, something that our body hasn't adapted to. You're, um, you're well read. That's very accurate. Um, it's also the amount of gluten and the, um, uh, uh, in the newer hybrid strains and the pest resistance in the hybrid strains. Now, the pest resistance are the amylase trypsin inhibitors. 
And that's the purpose of amylase trypsin inhibitors is because when a mealy bug, like a wheat mealy bug, eats the wheat uh, that's growing in the field, the amylase trypsin inhibitors in the wheat kill the mealy bug. Wow. It gives it intestinal permeability and kills the mealy bug. So there's higher levels of amylase trypsin inhibitors in the hybrid wheats, which cause more damage activating toll-like receptor 4 in your gut. Yeah. Right. That, that just If it's going to affect the bugs eating it, how is it not going to affect us in the long run? That's crazy. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the immortal words of Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, and I think I'm dating myself again. She's on the original <laughs> cast of Saturday Night Live. But in her immortal words, you think? <laughs> yeah. right? It kills the bugs, but it's not going to damage me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah causing all this inflammation and then as a result weight gain for many women with PCOS especially oh my goodness yes oh my goodness yes can you touch on that a little more I'm sorry go ahead can you touch on the impact of gluten and dairy as well on weight gain yeah critically important Um, uh, there's two factors that um, are critically important that we talk about with every person that has hormone related issues The first one is the impact of wheat causing intestinal permeability. If you've crossed the line of tolerance, now you have the leaky gut and these macromolecules get in and all of the inflammation that happens from that. That's the first thing that people have to understand just as a general public, not the geeky stuff, but you know, we've got videos and all that so they can see drawings of how it happens. And they say, Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Oh yeah. That, well, that just makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the inflammation that occurs from those macromolecules getting in is a major, major contributor to unwanted weight gain and the development of obesity. The second unwanted um, weight gain obesity trigger that we've never had before in history, before 50 years ago, maybe 60 years ago, is the amount of toxic chemicals we're being exposed to. Hmm. That, um, you know, arguably the most prestigious journal, health journal for kids' health in the English language is the journal Pediatrics. Arguably it's the number one journal. May, oh, somebody's maybe two, number two. Okay, I'll give you that, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you publish an article in Pediatrics, you've scored you've really hit the top of the field. You know, your articles are being published in first tier journals. It's fabulous. But there was an article published in the journal Pediatrics that was a policy statement. Now a policy statement comes from the board of the American Academy of Pediatrics. This is not just some author. This is the board wanting to make sure every pediatrician in the world understands whatever the principle is that they're going to talk about in the policy statement. They talked about the Toxic Substance Control Act, which is the regulating legislation for new chemicals introduced into the United States, manufactured or introduced in the United States. And the article said, and this is their language, the TSCA failed miserably, miserably to protect the health of our children. And then in parentheses and adults, failed miserably that the lobbyists, now I'm going to tell you this, this article didn't say it, but the lobbyists for the pharmaceutical, not pharmaceutical, for the uh, chemical industry were extremely successful in the language of this act. And what this act says is that you have to show that the chemicals a person is exposed to is damaging to humans to stop us from manufacturing this. Mm -hmm. Now, that makes sense to people. Okay, but there is no evidence. When when you get a coffee to go and plastic lid on it and you walk out, the heat from the coffee, the steam condenses on the underside of the lid and it drips back down into the coffee full of bisphenol A, the phthalates that are used to mold the plastic lid. You put the coffee cup up to your lips, the hot liquid hits the underside of the cup, tapers down into the opening, you drink the coffee full of bisphenol A. 
Now, there's no evidence that the amount of bisphenol A that you get from drinking a cup of hot coffee in a plastic, plastic lid, plastic cup, is toxic to humans. There's no evidence of it. Mm -hmm. But if you can't detox and get this stuff out of your body, it accumulates in your body. It accumulates. Now give me 20 years, 30 years of a minor amount of this stuff accumulating in the body. We know that every newborn child in America today has, depending on the study, 200 to 280 chemicals in their bloodstream at birth that aren't supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. 200, over 200, up to 280. They're not supposed to be there, and many of them are nerve toxins, brain toxins. Now I'll give you an example of this, and I'll tie this all to PCOS. Study in Chicago, three, 346 pregnant women. In the eighth month of pregnancy, they collected the urine of these women. They tested them for five phthalates. Phthalates are chemicals used to mold plastic. There are many more than five, but they tested five. One of them was BPA, bisphenol A, that I was just talking about, in the lid and in the plastic water bottles. So they tested five phthalates, added up the total, and categorized these women into quartiles the lowest quartile of phthalates, the next quartile, the third and the highest quartile. Mm -hmm. They followed the children of these pregnancies for seven years. Wow. When the kids turned seven years old, they did Wexler IQ tests on them, the official IQ test. Uh -huh. There's not much in medicine that's all or every. This was every. Yeah. Every, every child whose mother was in the highest quartile of phthalates in urine in, pregnancy, in the eighth month of pregnancy, compared to the children in the lowest quartile of phthalates in urine in pregnancy, every child in the highest quartile, their IQ was 6.7 to 7.4 points lower than the kids in the lowest quartile of phthalates. That doesn't mean anything to anybody until you understand that a one-point difference in IQ is noticeable, Yes. A seven-point difference is a difference between a kid working really hard getting straight A's and a kid working really hard getting straight C's. Yes. This kid doesn't have a chance in hell of ever, ever having a brain that's thriving. Then, then you just go to Google and you type in phthalates, P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, phthalates and neurogenesis, nerve growth. Here come the studies that phthalates inhibit neurogenesis. So mom, who's had 20 years, 25 years of accumulating phthalates because plastic storage containers, you put your leftover chicken, your leftover Chinese food in a plastic storage container, put it in the refrigerator, the next day there's phthalates in the food from the plastic storage container. You put nail polish on, the, nail po the phthalates in the nail polish are in your bloodstream in three to five minutes. Now, there's no evidence that the amount of phthalates that leach out of nail polish into your bloodstream is toxic to humans. That's how they got away with this. Yeah. So we have generations now of young people like you guys that are walking sewage dumps. Oh and, you just, and you don't know it. But, but when you look at the numbers of diseases and how all chronic diseases are coming at earlier and earlier ages... And you, how, you say, how can this be? Well, it's really happened since somewhere around the mid-1970s to 1980s. And look at the number of chemicals that are being brought into the environment. Toxic Substance Control Act, the policy statement from the journal Pediatrics, tells us it's 27 trillion pounds of chemicals manufactured or imported in the United States per year. That means nothing to anybody. It's a number we can't resonate with. But yep. take 27 trillion, divided by 360 million, whatever the population is in the U.S., mm -hmm. and then divide that by 365 days, it's 247 pounds of chemicals manufactured or imported in the United States per person per day. Wow. That's five 50-pound bags for every person in the United States. That means between the four of us, the two of you and me and you, the listener, that's a thousand pounds of chemicals per day for the four of us every single day. 
without exception that's being imported or manufactured in the United States. And we're getting this. Where do you get it? You get it from the plastic lids. You get it from the plastic storage containers. The plastic blinds on your windows outgas phthalates into the air. You're breathing this couch. stuff. Oh, mm -hmm. I can't smell anything. You ever see the sunlight coming through the window in the right angle and you see the dust in the air? Some yeah. dust. In That's the crud that we're breathing all day, every day. That includes the, the, the stain-resistant chemicals, the Scotchgard on your sofa that outgasses into the air. It's the flame-retardant chemicals in your sheets and your blankets and your comforters and your pillows that we sleep on every night that outgasses into the air. Well, I can't smell anything, but it's there. It's, there's no evidence that the amount of toxins that come out of uh, <laughs> sheets into the air is toxic to humans. That's how they get away with this. I'm sorry, but you got to wake up and learn that you have to detox. You have to check and see what chemicals have accumulated in my body that have thrown my hormones so far out of balance and that have caused this extra weight gain that my fat cells are expanding so much. What am I storing in my fat cells? And this is not kind of uh, one person out of every 5,000. This is every single person in the country right now. 247 pounds per person per day, every single day. So excuse me for being so bold and so direct, but you guys need to wake up. Yeah, I completely agree. It's especially like in the last 30, 40 years, we've seen the increase of diseases like cancer and many other conditions. It's all directly, in my opinion, related to not just diet, but also these environmental factors like the BPA and many of the other, you know, um, toxic that's exactly right. It's the antibiotics that are sprayed on the food. It's yeah. the DDT that's still in the corn. They haven't used DDT in 30 or 40 years, but it doesn't break down in the soil. So when you plant corn, it grows up, it's in the corn. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the PCBs, it's the heavy metals. You eat, merc you eat tuna fish regularly, you got mercury toxicity. That's, that's how it is, without exception. Sorry. You, we, we've, we've got to wake up that the concept of detoxification has to become a primary daily inclusion in the lives of you and your children. Mm -hmm. Every day you say, all right, what have I done to detox today? Good, good, good. I've taken enough B-complex because that helps with methylation. Good, I'm drinking a half ounce of water per pound body weight. Good, I'm eating the brassica vegetables to help with phase one and phase two detoxification. You know, there's a lot to Gluten, dairy, sugar. <laughs> the only way to do it is to listen to shows like this, <clears throat> read books like mine, and then the second book that I wrote called You Can Fix Your Brain, just one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. That is the path to success. Because people of your generation, you want it now. I want it now. I'm not going to wait. I want it now. You ain't going to get this now. You're going to get so overwhelmed. You're like a deer in headlights. You do nothing because there's so much. Everything I've just spewed at you in the last 15 minutes, like, what? Yeah. What? You know, so are you about to order glass storage containers and get rid of the plastic? Are you about to stop getting you that you'll take your own coffee mug into into the coffee shop, say fill it up? Are you about to do all this stuff? No, because you're overwhelmed. Are you going to stop using nail polish? No. So one hour a week, every week, every Tuesday night after dinner, every Sunday after services, whenever it is, but every week you take one hour and you tell your family, I'm don't bother me. I'm learning more about how we can be healthier. Yeah. And you listen to the show again, or you read a little from my book, or you get one of the pearls, like in my second book, there are three websites for glass storage containers, yeah. mileskimble.com, Amazon, and whatever the third one is. And you go online, you say, oh, those are okay. Oh, I like those. I like yeah. those. And you order th three round ones and two square ones and one for the pies, and you pay with your credit card, hit send. It took you an hour. You're done for the week. Ain't nobody got time to be doing this all day, every day, yeah. it's right? Very but you're done for the week. Yeah. And then next week you do one more thing. And then next week you do one more thing. And in six months, you've got this. Your body's detoxing. You're losing weight because you're flushing the toxins out. Your PCOS is calming down. The inflammation is calming down. That's the way you approach this. 
Yeah. It's a one step at a time type of thing. You know, it, we get so overwhelmed and it sounds so scary, you know, saying our bodies are a sewage dump. Well, it's just a metaphor for saying you have to do something about detoxing to help with your symptoms. And there's so much there's so much misinformation and misguidance given to especially to women with PCOS yeah. because always... they're told, oh, you're gaining weight cut some calories, cut all your calories, work out harder, this and that. Yeah. Nobody stops and says, you know, there are a multitude of things causing your body to be toxified. Besides diet, there's all of these environmental toxins. And then there is diet, gluten, dairy, sugar, things like that, that could be triggering it. And then once we start realizing all of this, it's easily, it's easy to get overwhelmed. So it's great advice to take it one step at a yeah, time and realize... Yeah, it took me a whole year, honestly, to transition my diet, first of all. And then the next year, I realized about toxins and I started changing, you know, my environment. Sirak, when we moved in together, I made everything. Yeah, yeah I was <laughs> like, like, why is everything, free, why is everything 10 times the normal cost? Because <laughs> she has all glass containers for all our foods. Yeah. Yeah, it's good for you. Good the for bed you. Bed sheets, everything. We all have like... to learn that type of thing, and it's so overwhelming. You have to be kind to yourself. And if I were to tell you, tell you, Mrs. Patient, I think most likely—I can't guarantee—but most likely, you've had PCOS now for six years or whatever it is. It's going to take four to six months before you notice a change in the size of some of these cysts, but. We have to stop the downward momentum that's currently happening. You're going downhill with this. We have to taper that off and slowly get the upward momentum. That's going to take four to six months. If you're in, great. If you're not, come back when you're sick enough. Yeah. <laughs> Bottom line, that's it. Yeah. Right? So you, you want to be fixed today? It's not going to happen. Yeah, because yeah, it didn't happen in one day. Yeah, if, if, if you understand it's a big picture view and there are many things on the checklist that you have to do, but you do them mm -hmm. one at a time as you have and it becomes just part of your life and you'll get there. You'll reduce the inflammation. You'll start flushing this stuff out. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I read in your book about the transition protocol that you have for people who are getting off of gluten, dairy, and sugar. Can you touch on that a little bit? I read about how there's like uh, detox effects, um, you know, feeling a little bit ill the first few days, which I've heard of from many sisters who have cut out gluten and dairy. Yes, that can happen. Uh, for people who we suspect are going to be more sensitive um, to transitioning off of wheat and off of dairy, we recommend they transition and not just stop. And a transition depends on the pace of what can work for you. For many people, you know, I'll start, if it, it looks like it's going to be tough for them and they've got developed new habits, I'll say, you know, let's start with every other day, breakfast is going to be gluten-free. And so, you know, you'll learn about other breakfasts. You know, there's lots of recipes in my books and on my website. And you'll find lots of recipes and you got to buy the right food to, to make these recipes. You know, it's going to take time. Sometimes you're going to blow it. So you have to have backup available in your refrigerator, you know. So, but just start with two or three times a week for breakfast. And once you feel comfortable with that, make it every day breakfast. And now include two or three lunches a week. And as you feel more comfortable with that, make it every day. Breakfast and lunch is gluten-free. And then start with two or three dinners a week. You know, people want it now. And they traumatize themselves. They make it much harder. And some people um, have the skill set or the ability to restock their pantry in a couple of days. Or they hire a nutritionist, which is a really good idea to come in, someone who's trained in all this, one of our gluten-free practitioners or someone trained that well, they come in and they just go through your pantry, they go shopping with you, right? And you know, you walk down the aisles and, and you grab those, they say, no, no, that's got wheat in it. See, right there it says wheat starch, or it says maltodextrin, and that's one of the, here's that list of hidden sources of wheat. And you go, oh, really? Really, my champagne vinaigrette salad dressing has got wheat in it? 
and most likely, most likely, and see it right there, maltodextra. And so if, if you bring an expert in and you pay them for a session or two, you can accelerate this transition to stock your refrigerator and stock your pantry with options that are safe for you. But the idea is to take your time. Yeah. Do it at a pace that you feel empowers you and does not stress you more. Oh, that's yeah. such good advice. Because I think many times it's, it's a lot more difficult psychologically to make the changes because you're not used to making all these swaps, especially like with breads and this and that. Um, so like psychologically, I think it's a lot easier when you do it one piece at a time and then you get more confident, especially when you start to see positive impacts, then you're like even more motivated to just go like full on with it. Mm -hmm. Right, right, exactly right, exactly right. And we recommend that people make half of their plate of every meal the colors of the rainbow, mm. which means vegetables and some fruits, perhaps, uh, mostly vegetables, but deep colors of the rainbow. Because those colors of the rainbow are polyphenols. They're nutrients that have so many benefits to help your detox capabilities. Half your plate of food is vegetables. My good friend, Dr. Terry Walls, who's an expert, she had MS, stuck in a wheelchair and learned what to do and now is fully functional and oh my gosh. Uh, in complete remission. And she sees a lot of Vietnam, not Vietnam, um, Afghan and Iraqi vets who are disabled. They're completely disabled um, uh, because of shock. Mm -hmm. And the first thing she does with them, if she needs to, she gives them some meds to keep, help them get by day by day. But the first recommendation is eat 12 cups of vegetables before you eat any carbohydrates. That means no pasta, no bread, cups. nothing, until you eat 12 cups of vegetables in a day. So that's vegetables at breakfast, vegetables at lunch, right? And no breads, no noodles, nothing. She doesn't tell them to go gluten-free because that sounds kind of wussy yeah. to, an to, you know, to an army vet, right? But, and there's not much room for pasta when you're eating 12 cups of vegetables a day, right? And the result is they lose weight. They've got high concentrations of polyphenols. Their brains are functioning much better. They're burning fat. Their detox capabilities are working so much better just by starting there, by focusing on vegetables. So we recommend half your plate of every meal is fruits and vegetables, bright colors of the rainbow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to fruit, is there like, do you recommend not going too much fruit? Because I know it does have a lot of natural sugar in it. And that's something we have to kind of uh, be careful right, with. Right, right, right. It depends on the individual because fruits are normal for us to eat, not a whole lot of fruit. Nobody sits down and eats four oranges all at once. But you drink a glass of orange juice, which has all the sugar of four oranges, yeah. right? Nobody eats four oranges. So the fruit juices are out, completely out. We don't recommend them, even though there's some benefits to some of the fruit juices in the studies. Yeah, but that alters your blood sugar too much because most of us have damaged blood sugar regulating systems. Right. Most of us have, have grown up with way too much sugar and our systems are a little worn out from it. There's an easy way to tell. It's called a HOMA test. H-O-M-A stands for homeostatic assessment. And in a HOMA profile, you do a fasting blood sugar level and you do a fasting insulin level. So you, you get a blood draw done of um, insulin and blood sugar. Just don't eat breakfast when you get that blood draw done. And here's the formula. Uh, you take uh, fasting sugar times fasting insulin divided by 405. That's your HOMA score. It should be less than 1.9. If you're between 1.9 and 2.9, you've got a problem with your blood sugar regulation. If it's greater than 2.9, you are on the verge of diabetes. Wow. And so wh when, you, when you do this really simple, inexpensive test, if your HOMA score is above 1.9, you got to cut down your sugar intake because you're not handling any sugars very well. You're over, your system's overwhelmed, which means not too much fruit. A little bit of blueberries are great. A little bit of red raspberries are great, but not a big bowl. You know, yeah. 
yeah, nothing that's... wrong with, with a bowl of, you know, I've been saying for years, one cup of blueberries a day, every day for three years, reverses your cognitive decline by 13 years. Your brain's working as well as it was 13 years ago, just from the polyphenols in blueberries. But if you've got blood sugar problems, you can't eat a cup of blueberries every day. You might have to start with a third of a cup mm-hmm. and just gradually stabilize your blood sugar and eventually get up to more. Yeah. So the concept of fruit, that's a really good question. It depends on the individual. And the way you know is by doing your home in a score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. Especially with women who have PCOS, they're struggling with blood sugar issues. And so we yep. always say one fruit a day generally, especially in the beginning yeah, while you're trying serving. to figure out what is going on with your blood sugar and trying to regulate insulin resistance. That's a really good recommendation. And for those that have the availability to get a fasting insulin, fasting glucose, you can find out where, you're, where you stand right now. This is a measure of insulin sensitivity. And if you're below 1.9, your insulin sensitivity is good. Your insulin's working well right now. If you're above 1.9, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have any any questions that you want to ask? No, I'm. J- this was awesome. Yeah. All of this. I wish like you could just continue talking. We could just keep on listening and take notes and notes and notes because it's amazing. Like yeah. the knowledge. Your book is great. It's just pages and page and every page I open to, it's like wheat sensitivity. I'm like, yes. Yeah. And. <laughs> And you do a very good job of like explaining the science behind it and like the metaphors and because I obviously the majority of people who read it aren't, you know, very well versed in the in science. Right. It's yeah. like normal people like us and we're reading it, but it's so easy to understand. Well, you know, it's 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 your generation that has to clean up the mess that we've created. <laughs> and, right. And the only way to do that is to bring kids into the world whose brains are working really, really well. Uh, to to think outside the box, you know, uh, Einstein said the problems we've created today cannot be solved with the same level of thinking that created the problem. You've got to get outside the box. So we, the next generation of kids, have to think outside the box, which means their brains have to be working well. Which means I have to teach moms stop using nail polish with phthalates. Get organic phthalate-free nail polish. You know, and all the uh, the the storage containers and all of that. But one step at a time and you will get there yes that's right all right doctor uh we'll end the podcast here if you don't mind just staying with us for a minute after so we could ask you a couple questions after it's over sure um i think my staff told me that we have a gift for your your people oh yes uh let's see i wrote it here recipes there's a link to your recipes yeah, uh, uh, recipes from the book, The Autoimmune Fix, that uh, there's the download that you can get. It's the dr.com forward slash get recipes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really yeah. simple. But um, this will help you as you're transitioning because these recipes work. They're really great. They're tasty. This is not Julia Child. You know, you don't <laughs> have to be competing to get on a cooking show. With, you know, it's really simple. Yeah. I'll tell you one that's not. That's not in the book. That's really great. You take um, uh, one banana and two eggs, put it in the blender, put a little olive oil in the pan, and you don't need to do the sound effects when you do the blender. <laughs> put put a little olive oil or a little coconut oil in the pan. Just pour it in there. Put a lid on it. Medium heat. When it starts to bubble, it looks like a pancake. It's all bubbling. Flip it over. Take the lid off. Turn the heat off, and in a minute, you've got the best banana pancakes. They are so wow. good, unbelievably good. <laughs> try and yeah, simple. I've tried this it's, before. It's a no-brainer yeah. recipe. It works every time. Even guys can make these pancakes. Perfect, perfect. I'll I'll bring it I this weekend. I will definitely have Sirak make some. And is there any other way uh, people can reach you, or any other resources that you have? Um, there are many videos on our website. Um, this whole thing about autoimmunity, which is critically important with PCOS. My wife and I traveled the world and we interviewed um, 85 different people, the world leaders, literally the godfathers in immune function and autoimmune disease. Professor Yehuda Schoenfeld, the godfather, who 28 of the PhD doctorals 
who received their PhD under him in immunology, there are many more, but 28 of them chair departments of immunology in med schools and hospitals around the world. They're his students. This is the godfather. And I talked to him about vaccinations and autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to what he says, you go, oh my goodness, that, wow. And then uh, Professor um, Michael Marsh at Oxford, the godfather of celiac disease, and so many others. And then we interviewed the doctors who were applying the principles from these researchers, the godfathers. And then we interviewed the patients of those doctors who were compliant with the recommendations, reversing their MS, reversing wow. their chronic fatigue, reversing their, um, well, actually there was one with PCOS that's in the series, uh, reversing their Hashimoto's thyroid again and again and again. And we put this online and it's called betrayal, the autoimmune disease solution they're not telling you. And it's at the dr.com forward slash betrayal, and it's free. We've had over 600,000 people watch it. And wow. it changes people's lives because you start thinking differently, right? You ask different questions when you see this woman talking about her autistic child who was speaking two months after starting a protocol at four years old for the first time. And she's crying as she's talking about it. Or the 44-year-old woman, I'll never forget her. She, this is in London. And she said, you know, I took the tube to come here. And that's the underground train. And I walked the seven blocks from the tube station to come here. It's not a big deal. And then she paused and got teary-eyed and said, but it is. And then we show you the pictures of her in a wheelchair two years ago with MS. She can't walk at all. And she had seven lesions on her brain. And today, she has no symptoms whatsoever, and she has two lesions left on her brain, completely reversing the lesions in her brain on a gluten dairy-free diet and taking some nutrition from her functional medicine doctor. And we show you this again and again and again, so that it's very empowering. And it's all free. It's at the dr.com forward slash betrayal. Amazing. Wow. Thank we'll you for those. Yeah. For sure. We'll definitely link that so people can check it out. And just want to say one thing, like everybody's always looking for the fix, like a magic pill, magic solution, but really it's all just around us and changing your diet and lifestyle, mm -hmm. like reversing these diseases and things is like, it's, it's, it's it has a huge impact. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. Yeah. All Thank right. you so much for joining us. This was wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you, sisters, for tuning in. And please check out Dr. Tom O'Brien's website. And we'll link it in the podcast description. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again. Sisterhood.